You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We're glad you're here. If you'd like to learn more about our church or want to know how to get involved, visit kingscross.org. We pray that as you listen, you experience the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Chip Robinson, our lead pastor, is out on sabbatical uh, for all of January and for a couple of weeks in February, and this has given us the privilege of hearing from trusted friends to deliver God's Word every week. And some of you already may know my friend Jonathan, uh, but for those who don't, and by the way, April, it's good to see you here. I guess you heard that he nailed it in the first service, so you figured you'd come to the second. That's awesome. So they're at Harbor City, so she's been down there. But it's, been, it's, it's such a joy to hear from Jonathan this morning, and I really look forward to you guys hearing him right now. Jonathan was born and raised in Mo- Rocky Mount, North Carolina, where Jonathan says it's neither rocky nor it's a mount. He grew up going to church and trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord in a Sunday school class as a child. He graduated from Liberty University and later from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He married April. Here she is and the kids, uh, which led to filling up this picture with their children, with Keller and Geronimo and Emma and Avery. Jonathan served on staff at the Summit Church for almost 12 years, where you guys know that we're in the collaborative with Summit Church, before he planted Harbor City Church in West Ashley. So he and April are just down the road where he's the lead pastor. So there's three important things you should know about Jonathan. First is his favorite college sport team is, and I quote, Duke basketball all the way. Not much, not much feedback from that. Yeah, <laughs> Already they've started praying for you, even before I asked them to pray for you. All right. Number two, he has predicted, Jonathan has predicted Taylor Swift and the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> Want to know where he stands. And last but not least, number three, Jonathan Linker once beat Super Mario Brothers one-handed. That's quite a feat. Yeah. If we had time, I would love a a demonstration of that this morning, but we need to hear from God's Word. The last thing that really gets Jonathan excited, though, is seeing people experience the gospel for the first time. And just maybe uh, that's what we're going to pray is that's what happens here this morning. So let's pray for Jonathan, if you would, just like we've done the last few weeks. If you just take a moment silently uh, where you are and just pray for Jonathan as he comes to deliver God's Word. Now, if you would pray for yourself, for your heart and mind as you prepare to receive God's word. All right. Amen. Please welcome Jonathan Linker. What's up, King's Cross? Um, uh, I'm going to answer a question that you probably have, and I got to ask you a question, okay? A question that you probably have is... You beat Super Mario Brothers one-handed, like, tell me that story. Either you're a really uh, weird gamer or something happened, okay? I was a little kid. I broke my elbow, this elbow, and uh, back in the day, 
um, they had this medieval way of setting bones called tractions. You might remember that, that you have a bone set in traction. They'd have all these weights up there. So my, my, I had to sit suspended for 28 days straight as like a six or seven year old in a hospital bed and could do nothing. Okay. But good news. Super Nintendo just came out and the first game was Super Mario Brothers. And so they would wheel in this little cartridge and I would play, I mean, one hand just suspended in the air. Um, I would play on the controller with one hand, was able to beat it from start to finish with one hand. It's not, Josh, something like I do like all the time. Okay. All right. I just need to clear that up. That's, that's the question you probably had about me. The question I got for you guys, I was looking at your drum set and I was like, is your drummer under witness protection? Like, like what, or did he do something that he has to be kept from the rest, the rest of the band? Like, uh, I was, I was like looking at that door handle. I was like, is there a lock on that door handle? What, what's going on? So um, I, I did talk to the drummer. He assured me that you guys are taking great care of him. So that's good to know. Hey, I'm so excited to be with you guys, King's Cross. Um, your pastor, Chip, and his wife, Kristen, were, were some of the very first people that welcomed my wife and I, April, when we came into the city. Um, and man, we're really just sensing a call um, of uh, church planning. And they were they could have not have been more helpful, T- took us out to dinner, answered questions, prayed for us, encouraged us. And so um, when Chip reached out and asked if I'd be willing to come and share with you guys this weekend, I jumped at the chance. and I'm so excited to be with you guys. I'm going to use the word we, okay, because we're part of a Summit Collaborative family together. And so I'm going to say we are in a series this year called New Year Old Habits. And when we talk about old habits, what we don't mean is like bad habits we're trying to get rid of. We're talking about old or ancient even practices that are involved in how we are formed into the image of Jesus. And so the the habit that we're going to talk about today is actually the oldest of all the spiritual habits. It's the habit of Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest is the practice of taking one day a week and setting it aside to rest and enjoy God. And listen, our culture... We need Sabbath rest in a new way, don't we? You know, I read a stat this morning um, that um, you know the, the, the current, ro- uh, current rates of anxiety and depression in this country are as follows. Um, 32.7% of women and 24.4% of men reported last year, 2023, a significant struggle with anxiety and depression. Just think about that. That's one out of every three women and one out of every four man. Um, I, I was reading a, com, um, a, a, a comment on this. There's a, a British doctor who was seeing the rise of uh, what he called nervous diseases in the 1990s. And he actually wrote this. It was published in uh, the, the British Times in, in um, 1991. He said, We doctors in the treatment of nervous diseases are compelled to provide periods of rest. Some of these periods are... I think only Sundays in arrears. But by arrears, he means this is something that is, is overdue and is being paid back over time. What, what he's saying is that I think sometimes what this rest that um, uh, we need in our society is actually just the practice that people used to practice of spending a Sunday as a Sabbath that has been so neglected that now it's piled up and we're experiencing the negative impact of that. Um, we need Sabbath rest, don't we? Um, you know, there, there's a lot of different forces that fight with us in our ability to actually feel at rest and at peace. And I think about one of those is one that we carry around often in our pockets, our phone. Um, I, they, they told me you guys were kind of a talkback church. So if I ask you guys some questions, you guys will answer back. Is that right? Okay. All right. Nine, the nine o'clock service was doing it. All right. Let's try this 1030. Okay. How many hours? Um, let, me, let me ask you. How many hours a day? Do you think the average American spends on their phone? 
Okay? If you think it's one hour, raise your hand. All right? If you think it's two hours, raise your hand. If you think it's three hours, raise your hand. You don't have to stare at each other while you do this, okay? Uh, if you think it's four hours, raise your hand. All right? See a little more. If you think it's five hours, raise your hand. All right? If you think it's six hours, raise your hand. Now, some of you looked up from your phone to do that. That's great. Uh, if you think it's seven or more hours, raise your hand. All right. The, 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 the number of how often we spend time on just our phone is four and a half hours a day on average. Okay? Some parents are looking at their kids and like, you're bringing the average up over there. Okay? Um, we spend all this time on our phones. And what are we seeing on our phones, especially if we're on things like social media? Um, social media has given rise to what has been called the comparison culture which is basically, it doesn't really matter how great my life is going. As soon as I look at your life, I feel like I'm not doing things right or things aren't as good as they could be. My vacation isn't as good as your vacation. The food I make doesn't look like the food you make. The restaurants I'm eating at, they don't make plates that look like the, the plates that you make. And all of a sudden, we, we, we have to, uh, we, we become so discontent with our lives that we begin to work and work and work, and we feel like we can never rest or rest or rest. And it drives us into this state of busyness, which leads us into states of anxiety and even depression. You know, um, I want to talk to the parents in the room. Parents, uh, maybe this is your normal experience. You know, between waking up and hearing the alarm clock go off in the morning, trying to get yourself ready for work, you try to get your kids out the door and your morning coffee because you can't really wake up. You drag yourself to work, and for a a second on your traffic-filled commute, you try to orient yourself to the challenges of the day. And when you get to work, your boss is demanding more from you. You know, if someone else's company that's going through layoffs, or maybe it's your own, so you work harder, you stay late, only to get home, grab some fast food for dinner uh, while you take your kids to their after-school commitments. And by the time you hit the couch at the end of the day, you're just exhausted. And with all your work, you feel neither accomplished nor rested. Now then the weekend comes and you feel like, well, the weekend surely is the time for rest. But isn't the weekend often filled up by all the things that we neglected during the week? And so, you know, our weekends are packed with kids' sports activities, maybe some desperate recreation for ourselves on the golf course, maybe just crashing and watching TV in the house, maybe cleaning up around the house or working in the yard. And then all of a sudden, as the weekend progresses, the dread of Monday begins to set in because you haven't recovered from last week, much less prepared for the week to come, isn't you know, as we, we consider this, this is almost a normal American experience for parents and for many others. I'm talking to parents, but... Um, you know, it, it is, I used to be a student pastor. It is incredible the rate of activities that both parents and culture demand from our kids and our students. Um, our, our kids are so involved in so many different things. It seems like, man, is there ever really time for them to just simply rest? You know, I, I think as a parent, sometimes I fantasize about retirement and the day that will come when I can just finally not have anything to do. That's my perception. But then also, I talk to so many different retired people at my church, and they'll tell, they'll tell me that they are busier than ever. As a matter of fact, some of you who are retired, you, you may make that observation, Jonathan, I'm actually busier than ever. And so we, as we look across our culture, we just see a culture that is in desperate need for Sabbath rest. And as we ask ourselves, like, isn't there a better way to live than this? I just want to suggest to you, I've got good news from God's Word for you this morning. There is a better way to live. It's found in the way that God designed the world and the way that he designed you. And it's called this principle that we're going to talk about, Sabbath rest. So here's what I want to do with the rest of our time. I'm going to read two brief passages in Scripture that talk about Sabbath rest. And then I want to answer three questions. What is Sabbath rest? Why do we need it? And how do we get it? 
What is Sabbath rest? Why do we need it? And how do we get it? Before I do that, let's pray and ask God to help me preach this sermon. Father, we need your help to come and speak from your word um, and bring to it both light and heat. God, I pray that through light, you would illuminate um, through your word who we are, who you've made us to be, and what you're calling us to do. Father, bring heat to this, like make this uh, real in our lives, bring intensity, show us the importance of this so that we can make whatever changes you may be calling us to make and so that we ultimately can, we, we can experience Sabbath rest in you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are going to be in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, or 1 through 3. And then we'll be in Psalm 127, 1 and 2. Good news, um, if you don't want to turn to both of those passages, we will have those available for you on the screen. I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. A little bit of background here. God has just finished creating the world by speaking it into existence. All right, verse 2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. All right, what do these two passages have in common? Both of these passages are speaking of a deep Sabbath rest. That leads us to our first point, which is just simply the question, what is Sabbath rest? The Sabbath, or the seventh day, was a command to work six days and then to cease all work paid and unpaid on the seventh day and to enjoy God and rest in Him. A pastor named Pete Scazzaro defines it this way. The biblical Sabbath is a 24-hour block of time in which we stop work, enjoy rest, practice delight, and contemplate God. The traditional Jewish Sabbath begins at sundown on Friday and ends on sundown Saturday. In most Christian traditions, Sabbath has been observed on Sunday. The Apostle Paul considered one day for Sabbath as good as another. See Romans 14. So the particular day of the week doesn't matter. What matters is to set aside a 24-hour period of time and protect it. You know, contrary to what most Christians believe, the Sabbath was not established in what we would call the Mosaic Law or even in the Ten Commandments. Now, the Sabbath, uh, practicing the Sabbath is found in the Ten Ten Commandments. It is one of the big ten, but it doesn't find its origins there. It actually finds its origin in the created order. In other words, so when God is creating uh, the world and then when he is establishing how the world is to relate, he creates this thing called Sabbath, and therefore the Sabbath is held for all of creation, regardless of whether you are a practicing Jew or some other faith or some other ethnicity. The Sabbath is a, is, is a practice that is designed for all human beings. Um, 
I want to go back to this passage I read in Genesis 2, 1 through 3. I want to talk about what, what is happening here when God is establishing the Sabbath. Um, in Genesis chapter 1, I'll just summarize. God is creating the world. He is speaking into existence that which he wills. And as things are created, God is, is, is making a statement about them. And his statement is, and, you know, it was morning and evening, the, the, or evening and morning the first day, and it was good. And then there's this crescendo in the creation account on day six after he makes mankind, and he looks out on his creation, and his creation is complete, and he says, it was very good. And so after these six days of creating the world, God looks at his finished work on the seventh day, and out of satisfaction of what he has done, he rested. It's important to note here, God is not resting because God is tired from the work of creation. God is God, and he never gets tired. God is resting because he is so satisfied in his creation. I heard one commentator, uh, commentator say it this way, that the, 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 the seventh day in, in Genesis chapter 2 almost describes God as the king of the universe who, who, who has sovereignly brought all that is into being and now is setting up himself as ruler over that universe and he sits down on the throne and he kicks up his feet and he rests because his rule is so absolute that there is nothing that can challenge the rule of God. That is the type of sovereignty, that is the type of rulership of God that leads him to be able to rest. And listen, that's, if you don't have that view of God, it's going to be very difficult for you to trust him so that you can rest. If you have a small view of God, that God is up in heaven somewhere and he is pacing back and forth because he's worried about the outcome of what's going to happen in the 2024 election or the American economy or what's going to happen with your kid maybe getting, not, not getting into um, the, you know, the school of their choice or, or, or maybe a relationship that's not going to be reconciled and God's like, I just don't know what I'm going to do. If we have a view of God that is nervously pacing and not, as, and not in control of all things, then we will never find ourselves able to rest. But when we see that God's rule is so absolute, that his creation is so perfect, that it is very good, that he can rule all of creation from a position of rest, then we too can find our rest in him. This is the Sabbath rest. This is the, the rest of God that he extends and invites his creation into. And so the, the, the command for the Sabbath is that you work six days so that you can rest fully on a seventh day. Our one uh, pastor or commentator um, said, man, it's a whole lot easier to rest on the seventh day if you've worked well on the sixth day. You know, that's, some of you hear the teaching on the Sabbath and you're like, man, I've just got too much to do to take a whole day off a week. And you, you think that, that somehow that will uh, hurt your production. I just got to... Um, and let me bring you two observations, okay? Observation number one. Um, anybody who is engaged in any type of uh, bodybuilding program knows that bodybuilding consists of two practices. One is there's a time where you are going to stress your muscles to the point that the muscle fibers themselves begin to tear. That, that's the whole goal of a bodybuilding regimen is, 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 is to have your muscles begin to, to tear, uh, the, the muscle fibers begin to uh, tear so that when you enter into a period of rest, they will build back stronger, Right? So, so that's the rhythm. Rhythm is not just intense workouts. It's also intense rest periods for bodybuilders. And that is how muscles are formed. Isn't that a great picture of how life happens? Is that we work very hard for six days a week, and then one day a week we can, we can sit back and we can begin to recover and to rest and be renewed, not so that we can do less, but actually so that we can do more. 
Second example I'll give you guys is, um, I just think about uh, some businesses that have applied this principle uh, quite well, and there's going to be one that comes to your mind, right? It's Chick-fil-A. You know, I just feel sorry for Chick-fil-A. I just like, man, if they, if they would just open up on Sundays, they'd finally be busy. You know, they could finally actually start making some money and selling some chicken if they would just do what everybody else is doing by opening up on Sundays. Um, I, I got the chance, I worked at a church in Atlanta uh, that Dan Cathy was a part of. I got a chance to know him. First of all, he, man, man is a real deal. And um, just that, that conviction of taking one day a week and you know, offering it to their employees as a time for rest and renewal was so foundational to true at his dad's belief that they built it into uh, you know, how they um, advertise. Um, you know, you're driving down a highway, you see the Chick-fil-A sign. What does it say? Chick-fil-A, closed on Sunday. He, he wanted that known um, about every Chick-fil-A because he, he saw this value so powerfully. And you've seen how it's impacted their business model, have you not? And so what makes you think that you are so busy that you cannot take one day away a week and rest just so you can watch what God is doing? You, I would say the busier you are, the more you need Sabbath rest. Um, I'm going to go to our next point. We asked the question, what is Sabbath rest? And now I want to go to the um, question, why do we need it? Why do we need it? I have four different reasons I want to point out. First, we need Sabbath rest because we need to remember we are not God. Hey, let me make this a you thing. I'll, I'll, I'll turn all preacher on you, okay? You need Sabbath rest because you need to remember there is a God in your life and you are not him. You know, God never rests. God never rests. He doesn't need rest. And you know, the, the fact that God never rests means that you can rest, because there is someone with his hand still on the wheels of the universe. Um, I, I think about this for parents. Um, uh, you know, as, as, a, as a parent with young kids, grow, like as our kids are growing up, I, I just expen- uh, experienced so much like uh, restlessness being a parent of young kids. Um, I, I commented one time, I was like, man, I feel like my house is trying to kill my kids. This is what I mean. It's like my, my, uh, my wife and I, we had to call poison control multiple times on different kids uh, because they would like drink things like Febreze because apparently Febreze doesn't just smell good, it tastes good too. And I'm like, you know, the, I, I've got to hide, you know, Febreze um, from my kids and then I would have kids who would like try to put things in the, in the electrical outlets. So maybe your parent, you've experienced the same thing. Um, and you would think that, man, you know, as, as soon as the kids calm down and maybe it's nap time or whatever, as soon as the house gets quiet, then as a parent, you can finally rest, Right. Oh, every parent knows the worst time is when the house gets completely quiet. There was this one time, it was after, uh, it was December, and um, I, the house got really quiet. I was uh, alone home with my kids. They were upstairs, supposed to be napping, and it got really quiet, and I was like, uh-oh. And so um, I began to walk around. I looked up the stairs, and my son um, was, my six-year-old son at the time, was getting my four-and-a-half, five-year-old daughter to get into a cardboard box because they had just watched Home Alone. And they'd just seen Macaulay Culkin ride his like sled down the steps. And they're like, that looks awesome. We're going to do that in this, this cardboard box. And I was like, oh, you know, that's it. Like my house is going to end up killing my kids. I can't rest. And so I talked to my wife and we're like, okay, we, we've just got to go on vacation. Because every parent knows a family vacation is where you're finally going to be able to relax, right? <laughs> so we're coming back from vacation and we're more restless and tired than ever. And I'm like, that's it. You know, that's my life now. I'm just never going to be able to like experience this lack of vigilance, this lack of this sense of, uh, of always being on. I'm never going to be able to rest. But the, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized something that there was one place that I could go where I actually could experience true rest. 
And that place for me, it was going to my parents' house. It was a four-hour drive, man, a lot of work to pack up everything. But when we got there, um, I I knew a few things. I, I knew that when I got to my parents' house, that there was going to be somebody else who loved my kids. There was going to be somebody else who was watching out for my kids. There was going to be somebody else protecting my kids. There's going to be somebody else investing in my kids. And get this, I knew that if I just got to my father's house, then I could rest. The Lord convicted me of that and said, you know, do you have more confidence in your earthly father than you do in your heavenly father? You know, parents, isn't that a a good word to us? It's like, do you realize that where we live in this world, we are living in our father's world. We are living in our father's house. And he never sleeps. And he is always watching over your children. And he is working to protect them. His eyes rove the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully set on him. And so as I begin to realize that, I'm like, you know what? It is good news that I am not God. There is a God. I'm not him. And he is never resting. He is always watching. He is the one who is sovereign over all things. And as a parent, there's going to be sometimes I've got to let my head hit the pillow. And I've got to just say, God, I can't do this anymore. I'm going off duty. I'm giving this to you. You be the parent, the good parent for my, for my kids. Because I've, 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 I've got to receive this rest. You know, it's, um, uh, I read this passage earlier, Psalm 127, 1 through 2. Um, it's, it's such an interesting psalm because it's not written by David. It's actually written by Solomon. It's one of, I think, a few uh, psalms that Solomon wrote. And Solomon, uh, King Solomon, was one of the most qualified men in all of history to talk about, A, what it means to build a house, and, and two, what it means to watch over A, a and two. A, <laughs> what it means to build a house, and B, what it means to watch over a kingdom, Because King Solomon, he built one of the ancient wonders of the world, the Hebrew temple and the temple of Solomon. Uh, These massive uh, building projects that are renowned all throughout human history. He also, uh, he he reigned over an empire that went from the Mediterranean Sea to the Euphrates River to Egypt. This is a man who knows a little bit about building projects and he knows a little bit about watching over a kingdom. Listen to what he says. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. What he's saying is, man, there is a work underneath all our work that unless God completes, our work will never stand. And then he says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest in all your work and in all your labor. And all your rising up early to that alarm clock and all of your staying up late to finish the project. Here's what Solomon says. You're eating the bread of anxious toil. Why? Because God, he gives to his beloved sleep. It's almost like Solomon is saying, there are two ways in front of you. There's the way of feeling like you are the one holding up your little corner of the world. You are God and you are the one who is truly building the house and watching over the city and you're waking up early and you're going uh, late to to, to bed. And if you do that, you're going to eat the bread of anxious toil and you're never going to experience rest. Or There's a way of someone else who receives, who who is the beloved of God, who recognizes that God is God and and I am not, and receives rest from God as a gift. I just got to ask you, King's Cross, January 28, 2024, which, which of those do you want to be? As you consider your life and your patterns, which of those would describe you? Are you someone who receives the rest that God gives you? Or are you someone who's waking up early, going late to rest, trying to be God in your life? There is good news, King's Cross. 
There is a God and you are not him. We need Sabbath rest to remember that we are not God. Number two, we need Sabbath rest to remember we are not our jobs. You know, guys in particular, girls may do this too. I just observe this more in guys. We do this all the time, okay? You meet another guy out in the community. It's like, hey, what do you do? You know, we're asking, what do you do? That's not the way it's answered. I am a doctor is how we respond. I am a teacher. I am a pastor. I am a real estate agent. You see the difference there? The question is, what do you do? You know, what is your profession? What's your vocation? And the answer is my identity. I am a doctor. I am a real estate agent. I am a teacher. You know, we base our whole identity, don't we, sometimes on our profession. And when our identity is based on our profession, doesn't that make it really hard to turn work off? Because if our work is telling us who we are, how dare we not work and work and work? Because if we don't, our identity is at stake. By the way, don't you observe that this is one of the reasons it's so hard for some people to retire? It's so hard for them to hang it up because, man, if they retire, then who am I? I've got to ask you, you know, there are those of you in this room who are contemplating retirement. When you reach that, 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 that time and that age, you want to know who you are and that who you are has not been, has ever been your job. Who you are, your identity, is not your profession. Who you are is who you are in relationship to God the Father. Number three, we don't just need Sabbath to remember we're not God or to remember we're not our jobs. We need Sabbath to remember we are not slaves. Deuteronomy 5.15, remember, you shall remember, it's given to the nation of Israel, that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Interesting, isn't it? The reason the Sabbath was given to the nation of Israel and commanded was so that they would remember that they were no longer slaves. You know, what is the value of a slave? Well, in the economy of Egypt, the value of a slave was in their output. The value of a slave is in what they did. Slaves were human doings, not human beings. They were not valuable because they were a a mother or a father or brother or a sister. They were valuable because of the work that they produced. That was the value of a slave. And God, you know, in the the book of Exodus, um, God, when he's leading Moses to call uh, Pharaoh to let his people go, God tells Pharaoh, let my son go. And he's talking about Israel as his son, as his firstborn. So in other words, to Pharaoh, the Israelites were slaves that were units of production. But to God, the Israelites were sons and daughters of the sovereign king of the universe. And their value wasn't in what they did, but their relationship to him. And by the way, you might say, well, that's, you know, uh, great for, you know, ancient Israel. You know, I'll remember that. But um, I want to read you this quote from Tim Keller. Anyone who cannot obey God's command to observe the Sabbath is a slave, even if a self-imposed one. Your own heart or our materialistic culture or an exploitive organization or all of the above will be abusing you if you don't have the ability to be disciplined in your practice of Sabbath. Sabbath is therefore a declaration of our freedom. It means you are not a slave, not to your culture's expectations, your family's hopes, your medical school's demands, not even to your own insecurities. 
It is important that you learn to speak this truth to yourself with a note of triumph. Otherwise, you will feel guilty for taking time off or you will never be able to truly unplug. Sabbath, don't you love that language? Sabbath is a declaration of freedom. Number four, we need Sabbath rest to remember we are not machines. I've said we, we need Sabbath rest to remember we're not God. We need, we need Sabbath rest to remember we're not our jobs, we're not, our, we're not slaves, and now that we're not machines. I want you to think about this. Um, I can remember a time when you could turn the internet off in your house. Matter of fact, you didn't always have the internet on. Anybody in here remember that? Anybody? Okay. Does anybody here remember something that we, we uh, called dial-up internet? You guys remember that? I, so, some of you may not. I'll explain it to you a little bit. We used to get on the internet by our phones. Like our phone line was the way that we connected to the internet. So, you know, if your sister's on the phone talking to her boyfriend and you want to get on the internet, like you uh, hit the little button to, to get dial up to start and all of a sudden she gets booted off, she gets mad at you. Okay, maybe that was just me. All right. Um, but uh, dial up was a process by which you, your, your, your computer would call into the internet to be able to access uh, different websites or programs. And um, when you were done, what, what did you do? You turned off the internet. The internet wasn't always on. You know, some of you remember the time when you had a phone, um, especially early in phones, where you would want to preserve the battery, so you turned the phone off. You know, the, 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 the iPhone, the way that Steve Jobs uh, has de- designed it, was he didn't like the idea of an off switch. And so he made it difficult for you to turn your phone off. Your phone was meant to be charged, but never meant to be turned off. And somewhere in, in, in our culture, we have begun to think of ourselves not as human beings with limits, but as machines that are always on. You know, th- I go back to your phone. You know, uh, our phone has made us, gives us access to email, uh, websites, messaging, phone calls, and so that we can actually do our work sometimes anywhere. And that was like touted as this great, uh, you know, this great technological revolution. We're going to enable people to be able to work from wherever they want. And you know what that means? That now we work from everywhere. Now our work follows us on vacation, doesn't it? And it seems like we can never truly disconnect or unplug from our work because our work seems to be everywhere. Do you see the need for Sabbath rest to remind us that we are not machines? Anne Lamott, an author, says this. She says, almost everything will work again if you unplug it, including you. I'm going to move to our third point. We talked about what Sabbath rest is, why we need it. Now I want to answer the question, how do we get it? I want to go back to Psalm 127. And I want to look at particularly verse 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. Okay, so, so what, he, what, what Solomon's saying is you want to work, work, work so you can get rest. But it's like you can never get it. It's vain because you're always working, but you can never a- achieve this rest. But... For God gives to his beloved sleep. So in other words, there, there is a way of receiving rest. But the way that you receive rest is not from working harder. But it's actually receiving two things. One, knowing that you are beloved of God. Did you catch that detail? He gives to his beloved, God's beloved, the one that God loves knowing that you are beloved of God, and then you get and you receive rest. How do, you, how do you get rest? Think about this. How do you get to sleep at night? Does anybody ever like, I've got to go to sleep by a certain time tonight because I've got a busy morning? Have you ever tried to take rest or take sleep? Have you ever tried that? I mean, can you go to sleep? Like, no. 
uh, you're like, okay, I really got to go to sleep by nine o'clock because I have to wake up early and, and go to this thing. And you can, have, you, you, the, the harder you try to, to, to take rest, the further it seems to be from you. So how do you, how do you actually fall asleep? How do you get rest? You surrender to it. And the same thing is true about Sabbath rest. You know, Jesus had a, um, you know, a lot of times people will talk about Jesus with his arguments back and forth with the Pharisees about the Sabbath to, to characterize Jesus as if he was uh, against the Sabbath. Well, Jesus absolutely was not against the Sabbath because one of his names that he appropriates for himself is Jesus himself calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, I am all about the Sabbath. And so with Jesus calling himself the Lord of the Sabbath then uh, begins to uh, help us understand some other statements that Jesus said in a new context, like this one. Remember when Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And what does he say? And I will give you rest. Did you see what Jesus just did? In Psalm 127, 2, Solomon is saying, Only God can give rest. And Jesus is revealing himself as, God the Son, second person of the Trinity, and I can give you rest. So what I want to do is I want to lead us in a response time. If all over this room, if you will, bow your heads and close your eyes. Nothing magical about that, but what I'd like to do is just to begin to put, push some distractions out of your mind. And I just want to uh, challenge you to respond to this sermon in, in, in a couple of different ways. And so all over this room, all heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to challenge you. I mean, some of you um, have never actually received Jesus as your Savior. And because you've never received Jesus as your Savior, you will never be able to rest. What do you mean, Jonathan? Well, what we believe in the message of the gospel is that Jesus did the only and ultimate work that really matters. That Jesus lived the life that we were supposed to live that he died a death in our place, that he was really buried and that he rose from the grave. And, and by doing that, he defeated Satan, sin and death forever. And that by doing that, he, he has achieved the forgiveness of your sin. He offers you a relationship with the Father. In other words, if you trust in Jesus's work, you can receive the very rest of God where the striving is done for all the work that was underneath all your work is complete. It's unnecessary. It can add nothing to the finished work of Jesus on your behalf. And so what you need to do is to receive that. It might sound something like this. Right now in this moment, it might sound uh, like, like you praying. Uh, Jesus, I want to turn to you. I want to turn for my sin and I want to trust that you've done everything necessary to save me. I want to trust in your work on my behalf. Give me, I pray, the very rest of God. The rest that God enjoyed after the creation of the universe from complete satisfaction. I'm gonna give you a moment all over this room to respond that way, to receive the rest of God through receiving Jesus Christ. And then others of you, I want a, a way that you would take a moment to apply this sermon is just to say, Father, I, I'm not resting the way that your word commands us to rest. I know I'm not Sabbathing, but sometimes I'm not even stopping 
feel like I'm going from one thing to the next. And so God, help me stop. Help me slow down. Help me realize that I'm not God and you are. God, you say that in your word that rest is a gift that you give to the ones you love. I pray that you would give me that rest. The last group of you, the way that you would apply this sermon is just to begin to practice a Sabbath. Taking a 24-hour period to dedicate to stopping work, to enjoying God, and to resting and being renewed in Him. Father, I pray that you would take these words and you, the Holy Spirit, the true preacher, would come and apply them to every heart in this room. God, I pray that you would use these words to shape this people, the people of King's Cross, that we would be known in a city of activity and work as people that rest in you. God, six days a week that we truly work as unto you and you bless the productivity of our work truly. But we also remember that we are sons and not slaves and we rest and we delight in you. God, I pray that as we do that, our joy in you would abound and that we would be a sign to the watching world that Jesus Christ has done the only work that really matters and now he grants us his rest. We pray this in Jesus' name. My name's Josh. I'm the associate pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's message automatically. We invite you to join us as we grow in the gospel, connect in community, and live on mission. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.